Hey everyone, this week I'm super excited to introduce another former colleague of mine, Dave Hurley. And in my mind, he is an incredibly rare person who has the combination of skills in growth and coding, which makes him a lethal growth hacker, someone who I've been able to learn quite a bit from. And David, I mean, great to have you on and would love to start off with a quick background about yourself so that people know who they're talking to. Yeah, I, uh, thanks for the intro, by the way. That was, that was really nice. I, um, so background, I was in sales. That's how I got into tech for a company called Top Hat. And then I made, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a rare thing, but I, I made the transition into software development. And in it, I think it was that combination of experiences that got me into growth marketing. But I honestly got into growth marketing. I was working at a company called Hashtag Paid as an early hire. I was helping build out their app. We didn't have a lot of users at the time. And one of my first growth hacks was using Instagram's API to sort of go through people's bios and find their email and then send them a cold email and saying, hey, we have this platform where you can make money. Uh, we can also tell you how much your, your account's worth on Instagram. Come find out, you know, come, come learn more. That's terrible. That, that's terrible copy there. But it ended up being really effective and I've always been fascinating on that, on the intersection of marketing and, and that. that. That was early on when growth marketing was really, growth hacking was kind of just coming out. I think that was like four years ago. And it was something I, I was fascinated in. That's kind of how I fell into it. I think I answered that question. But <laughs> Yeah, awesome. I mean, we'd love to also learn what you're up to right now. I think you're into a couple right. of projects, right? With Conversify, Sales Captain. Right, right. So, and currently, most of my time, I am founder of a, a uh, co-founder of an, of an app called Conversify. We help people manage conversations on LinkedIn. We're looking to rebuild the LinkedIn inbox. It's a really powerful networking tool. LinkedIn is, and we, but we find that it, it could be a better user experience. Think like what Superhuman's doing for email. Conversify will will create a better LinkedIn experience. That's the pitch, at least. But as you know, like we're we have we have about ten users now, and we're just trying to build, trying to solve their problems. So it's still very early. But I, I I've also been working a lot on an online course. Another way you can think of Conversify actually is is it, it, it could be like a Facebook ads for LinkedIn helping people build audiences and, and target them with ads. And Sales Captain is, it's an online course that teaches you how to use that tool properly. Um, and I always like to use the metaphor, just because you have access to Facebook ads doesn't mean you know how to run a profitable Facebook ad funnel. Right. You could build a campaign, probably. You could figure that out. It's, it, it's very easy to figure that out. It's very hard to run a profitable, profitable Facebook ad company. So Conversify is Facebook Ads Manager. Sales Captain is a course that teaches you how to use that tool properly. That's how the two are connected. Got it. And that, you know, I think over the course of this conversation, I think we'll identify how you got to this point, right? You essentially started off in sales, learned a bit of coding, yes. right? and then got into the B2B sales place, kind of working at Planswell and then working at Growth Genius. And then from there, kind of working on a number of different projects. Now you're at this point where you're building a product to clean up the experience of LinkedIn and then also creating a course to help people become educated in this space. So I think to kind of like take this up to a higher level, you know, 
I certainly have an opinion on this, but I'm curious to get your thoughts. How has the stack of marketing skills changed over time? I think when people think about marketing, they think events, they think ad campaigns, they think content, right? But I think the definition of, you know, what does a full stack marketer look like has changed. And I think you epitomize that in a lot of ways. So we'd love to get your thoughts there. Yeah, the stack. I think so. There's, I, I feel like there's different types of marketers for sure. I've always been focused with, in my mind, I, I love to work on campaigns that are measurable. And typically those are, are digital plays. So ones, ones like there are Facebook advertisers out there that are purely brand, brand awareness. And there's advertisers out there that are performance marketers. So right. they, they, they really care about. Uh, the metrics, like if you spend a hundred dollars on on Facebook ads, you know, what's the ROI on that campaign, and and what data did you collect? Like, what you just made a purchase of data. So, how valuable is that to the company? So, in terms of your stack, I, I think in terms of my, do you mean do you mean tools or processes? Like, what? what talk about best? both. I mean, let's talk about processes first, right? And and see, sure, what kind of processes do you think about when you think about marketing? Because I think it's pretty unconventional relative to the normal marketer. Yeah. So if everything is measurable, it's everything comes down to an experiment. Each experiment, you'll have a certain hypothesis and you'll say, or, or, or a certain concept you can test. So with a Facebook ad, for instance, we can test, uh, maybe I can use a, a specific example. Sure. So it plans well. It was a free financial planning company. So we offered up financial plans. It's actually really hard to advertise financial plans on Facebook. I know that because we had tried a lot of tests around that. We ended up just changing the positioning. We we ended up pitching a a or advertising a uh, retirement calculator, <laughs> and that nice. um, just that subtle change, and that really it, it comes from a hypothesis of what what people really care about. So we advertised that that type of language and then ended up, you know, the company ended up raising millions of dollars and, and doing really well. And it was based on that one ad funnel. So in terms of my process, it's trying to do, for me, it's using platforms like that that are, are very measurable. So those channels that I've had experience with that are very measurable uh, would be Facebook, Google ads, LinkedIn, and then LinkedIn conversation campaigns. And we can get into that in a bit. That's more conversify, but you, you pay a certain amount of money, you collect a certain amount of data, and that either proves or disproves your original hypothesis. I, I think at Growth Genius, we had talked a lot about message market fit, that's like a part of it. Right. But it's more, I'm going to spend $100, I'm going to learn something I didn't know ahead of time, meaning what's the reception of my messaging or my ad in the market. And then based on that, I'm either going to, you know, experiment with something new or double down on what I think is working. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, double clicking into that, tell me about why Facebook advertising is so powerful. I think one of the things that mm -hmm. I learned from working with you is the whole idea of testing out copy, testing out different ideas, right. using a Facebook ad before even building it out. To me, that was counterintuitive because a lot of times you build a product, you build on the idea yeah. first, then you go into the Facebook ads. Why do you do it the other way around? Okay, so so there's two questions there is, is, is why, why are Facebook ads so effective or why is everyone trying to build out a Facebook ad funnel? Yeah. A lot of companies are trying to do a profitable Facebook ad funnel and it, it, 
I thought I think is a really simple reason. It's because it's predictable and scalable. Meaning in most Facebook ad funnels, you can to a dollar, if you spend a hundred dollars, you kind of know what you're getting back. And it extrapolates really, really well. So if I spend a thousand, I could expect similar results in terms of you know con- conversion rates. So meaning like to be really explicit, if I spend a hundred dollars and I get 10 people to sign up, I can spend a thousand dollars to get a hundred people to sign up. The, the numbers aren't, aren't linear. Like it's, it's not that exact, but it's close. It's close enough that if people can figure it out, they know that if the margin's there, they can spend a lot of money on Facebook and get a, a net return. So that's why Facebook's really cool. You said something different where it was like, why start with Facebook ads? Why? And a lot of people focus on the product first. And I've always, I've always found that not to be the best strategy. You want to figure out distri- distribution first. You want to figure out demand first. Because if you can nail that, then you'll know what people want and then you can build out your product. I, I find that it, it's usually the reverse. People have an idea of what they think people want. They'll put a lot of money into building a product, building out their product, and yeah. then they'll try and solve the distribution problem. Why that's risky is because you may not have built the right thing. You may not be solving for problems that people actually have. And you're stuck trying to figure that out after the fact. And then you may figure out, you know, these, with, these are the ads that really want people want. This is the demand. This is where it's coming from. It could be another ad and your product may not supply it. So maybe it's not so much distribution than product, but they need to coexist. And I would rather figure out the distribution part, know what to build and then put the resources into building. And to give you a very practical example, I learned that actually from the Flanswell CEO, Eric Arnold, who had, who had done years of affiliate ads on Facebook. He had, he had known, knows that platform really well. And he had taught me that, and really at Planswell, we had figured out that Facebook ad funnel before we had a product. We could predict that we would get people to sign up, give us all their financial details for say $2 a lead. And they had wanted something. They had showed us that they had wanted to know more about their finances. We were able to raise money on, on those numbers. And then we, to, I didn't personally, but the company had taken that money and actually built out a product to fulfill the, the free financial plan that we were advertising. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight that Facebook advertising is simply a tool that allows you to test out the offer. So yes, yeah. I think the key there, and I think what you know, people like yourself are really creative that is creating that offer. Yes. Right? Where you create like a super targeted offer that you know doesn't really exist in the market, you then use Facebook advertising to measure you know how well or how strong the traction will be. Then you kind of take it back, build on that prototype, and then build an actual product around it. Now you have a funnel that already exists with a message that already works, right? And yeah. you simply need to just put a lot more dollars into it and yeah. blow up the product. I think what people haven't paid as much attention to is obviously a, like how do you use Facebook advertising for that purpose? So instead of using Facebook advertising to purely blow up a fully built out product, how do you use Facebook advertising to build out a prototype? And I think what makes your skills really interesting is that you actually can build a prototype yourself, right? Yeah. You can build a prototype you have a decent enough sense on copy and messaging to prototype your messaging. You can then set up your growth funnel 
And therefore you just tested out an entire product idea, an entire funnel at an incredibly low cost before yes. even getting it to the developer team, right? Who's then responsible for building out the full product. Correct. Yeah. See, that, 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 that's really the beauty of, of ads is, is like you can get something that's predictable and scalable in the sense of if I have an ad I know works, you always have that. You always have it in your back pocket. If I need a few more users for testing, I can just spin up, spin up an ad and get a few more users for testing my next iteration. Right. And so even for something like sales captain, I'd run a few tests on LinkedIn, reaching out to certain audience and saying, you know, I have, I'm working on this course. I think it's going to benefit people X, Y, Z. Would you be interested in taking a look? And you kind of get to understand the response rates of, of some, a campaign like that. Yeah. So I was able to get a certain amount of people sign up, but I realized that the product wasn't meeting the the expectation I'd set in the ad. But the ad's still good. It's still predictable. It's getting a certain amount of demand anytime I release it. So right. I just need to nail the product part. And that's and so I'm releasing the second version of that soon that I think is a little bit closer to what people expect or what people want. Yeah. And I'll keep balancing that out until I feel like I've nailed it and then I can scale it. Scales where you want to get to, but I don't want to scale prematurely. I feel like that's an issue. If you figured out distribution where it's predictable, don't ruin that. Take advantage of it and try and build a product that fulfills what you've promised in the ad. Yeah, totally. And what does a successful Facebook ad look like to you today? Anything where the unit economics makes sense uh, in given a certain amount of time, that's like a really complicated way to say it. Right. A good ad... A good ad for me, what, like what constitutes a good ad for me is, is like say I'm in a competitive market. One of the first things I would do is actually go and, and look to see what my competition's doing. Right. You can go to Facebook ads library and, and get inspired. Yeah. And Underrated tool, by the way, Facebook ads library. I think. <laughs> Facebook ads library. That's, I remember the origins of that. You could actually see people's ads back in the day. And that's how I learned Facebook ads. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd read a lot of really good, uh, like I think David Ogilvy had written, read everything he had written in terms right. of, you need to know some fundamentals. Um, I think he's a really good resource for that. You need to understand like how to present an offer, the kind of language you need like to, to be clear, concise, you know, no puns, no fluff, just be very, very, it's a skill to take like a very complex product or service or solution and distill it down so, so the layman person can understand it. It's a skill. I don't say I'm not the best out there, but it's something I definitely strive for. Now, in terms of what makes a good ad outside of those points I've made, I think using that tool to figure out what, what other people would do. So, so when I first started doing ads, that's how I learned. I would see what all my competition was doing and I would actually run the same ads they were running just to see how expensive they were. Right. So if they had a funnel, I would, I would use a very similar ad, similar language, it would go to a very similar landing page and there'd be a very similar sign up yeah. and you would study, you know, how much, how expensive that lead was. Yeah. And it's not you that know, hard to copy, right? Like in today's know. world. Well, I mean, it helps to know how to develop, but in today's world, like there's so many no code tools, there's no excuse for you not to be able to take someone else's funnel and then test out your own funnel. And you don't need to be a developer these days. I, I think when I started out, I felt like I needed to be, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, yeah. But it, it doesn't, it, I, in saying that though, it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn a bit of code. I think everyone should. Yeah. 
being able to take someone else's funnel and replicate it just to understand the cost is super important. So uh, one of the early findings we, we found even at Planswell when we were, I was deep into it, I would look at what all the big banks were doing on Facebook. Right. And they would all have very like your classic sort of brand awareness ads that were very sort of aspirational. You kind of don't even know what they're offering. <laughs> have a better life. Click here. And you're saying, well, what's the, what's in it for me kind of thing. Like there's certain fundamentals you learn with advertising. People don't click on those aspirational things. They look really nice like to your, uh, but, but it's not very actionable. So we, but I didn't know that I, and I didn't really care what it looked like or anything. I just wanted to know. So I would replicate their funnels. I would spend, you know, hundred dollars. Like it wouldn't, it doesn't cost you a lot to study how effective those funnels are. And then with that data, you could go and say, that costs me a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars to get a lead, and then for like a, a plans well funnel, we could massage a funnel so we can get it like a two dollar lead. And I think that's what that's what made that that business um, pretty cool was uh, sure. when you're competing with the big guys, you, you need to have uh, savvy marketing plays. Yeah. yeah, you talk about coding, and you know, you and I have had a number of conversations on this. I think. 100%. It's one thing to be a true developer. It's another thing to be literate on code. Just know how to build prototypes, right? Yep. And how did you go about learning how to code? And then maybe a follow-up to that, you know, what are some of the quick hacks that have saved you a bunch of time? Yeah, how did I? So I did it the wrong way. I, um, I took part-time course at Ryerson. It doesn't even exist anymore. But they, they had taught you Java. I learned like a bit of C. It was mostly like, it was like a history lesson in programming. But I, I found that like that was, though it entered, like I was really motivated to pick up a skill that wasn't sales. I wanted to like just learn, learn how to build something. I just wanted to create something. This was before no code. This was before it was like, it, 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 it took a lot even to put like a website up. There was no Squarespace. There's no Wix. So you just had to like, figure out a way to, to do it. And then, um, and then I learned more from going online. I, I think the biggest, uh, I would, I put more time into researching how I should learn. And then I came across resources. Uh, I think the first big one that really like, uh, the one that was really important to me actually was one month, uh, one month rails. Are you familiar with that? That resource or those yeah. kind of, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's an early YC company. And they were teaching, it was like 20 bucks and they would teach you how to build a Rails app. And I think that really opened up my eyes of like, I actually built something and like I was able to send it to my friend after they used it. And I said, ah, that's, so I spent like probably over a thousand bucks on that like Ryerson course, which didn't really get me anywhere. And then I figured out one month. So anyone starting out, I, I really like one month. I think Udacity does a really good job. I, I just got done a Udacity course. Yeah. And loved it. So I, I think there's so many more options to learn online now. I can't, I wouldn't be the best guy to talk to about say starting out coding again. I don't have enough empathy for what that's like now. I don't know the resources out there now, but I, I just know that some quick research, just start to experiment with different learning platforms and go there, but start anywhere. And I, I think I'm more focused on it being a habit. Like I, I was like, I'm going to do this for an hour of day. And then those hours sometimes turn into like two hour sessions. And then 
I think it, once it became a habit, I, there very rarely does a day go by where I don't just write a script or add to a, one of the apps I'm working on. Or, but I'm also not like a very, I wouldn't say I'm your, I'm a developer's developer. Even on my latest project, I'm working with two other engineers and they code most of it, but I can speak to them about different changes, but I'm certainly not leaving the charge. <laughs> right. And that's sure. totally fine because uh, I'm trying to connect distribution so going back to what we were talking about earlier, I'm trying to connect the distribution to the product, trying to bridge that gap. And I feel like that's that's where I can provide value, though I still like to get my hands dirty a lot of the time too. Yeah, I think you touched on like, you know, learning how to learn. And I think yeah. some of the things that, I mean, lots to unpack there, obviously, but one of the things that, you know, I learned is just simply Googling, right? Oh my God, yeah. Right, I think, you know, whether it's Stack Adapt or, you know, all the other different tools out there. GitHub is another one. It's pretty easy to quickly identify a problem that you're going through. 99% of the time, someone has also gone through this problem and already has posted the answer online. Right. So all you need to do is look at those different answers, look at the ones that are the most popular answers, just so that you're learning it the right way. Right. And And then simply kind of learn from there. And then another piece is just seeing results as quickly as possible. I think, you know, the difference between the one month course and that thousand dollar course you took at Ryerson is, you know, one, you know, you get to build something and you see the results of what you learned right away. Yeah. So you see, you know, how exactly can you apply these courses? I think a lot of times, and I think this is the knock on even a lot of Udacity courses um, and, and a few other courses online is that there's certain courses that teach you a bunch of stuff, but doesn't teach you how to apply it. And, and, you know, doesn't feel as relevant as it can be. Right. There's a number of other courses, um, regardless of price point, allow you to apply these things right away and kind of allow you to build a habit. And I think whether it's coding or something else, being able to distinguish between those two two types of courses and sign up for the courses that help you see results right away, help you form a habit around that specific skill will take you a lot further along versus something that doesn't necessarily help you form that habit because absent of that, you probably just wasted your money and you'll likely forget what you learned three yeah. or six months from now. Yeah, you nailed it. I think in any learning online today, uh, well, I learned this a lot in, in programming, You're gonna, you can Google almost anything and so like if even if you think you know the answer someone out there has probably answered it better so just learn how to google and find those answers i think i didn't really understand coding like i'm when i was learning coding or really anything like you you learn through tutorials and you learn someone else's product or like little script they had made i didn't truly i think the first program i ever made was a it was a 1v1 euchre game it was it was totally you couldn't play anyone else online it was all very in the browser it was it was kind of complex i built it in jquery but i learned and and it probably took me a week to do and i think it was like i was doing it 10 hours a day and uh i just wasn't a great developer but it was the just the tenacity of like i wasn't solving problems to 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 finish a tutorial i was solving problems to actually build something in the wild so there is no blueprint you have to create the blueprint um, you have to go out and just build that thing that you want to see. And then it wasn't until there where you're, you can't really cut corners. And that's where I was like, okay, so when I'm trying to learn stuff now, it's usually around building something either someone's going to use or something I'm going to use in the wild, so to speak. 
and then it forces you to to actually learn it's it's, it's different than learning from a tutorial so i'll still do that stuff right um, I find that you really, really start learning is when you actually build something. Uh, yeah, you for sure. And on that note, I mean, I consider yourself to be an expert on bots. I mean, I remember the first one <laughs> that I built on Twitter and Slack with your help. And, you know, tell me how you got into that space and, you know, specifically creating bots on Facebook and where that was able to take you. So th there's a few bots I'd made. I'd made one bot to actually create an ad. So Facebook ads, ads manager has an API and I was, we had figured, okay, so that, that funnel was so scalable and predictable that I had literally, I could just flip on a switch and leads would come out into our CRM and the sales team would call them. That's cool. So the next step is, okay, well, how do I, how do I make that more efficient? Well, how do you, how do you automate that little switch? And then how do you automate the, you know, the creation of those ads? So I figured those things out and we had started testing it with, with, with chat bots. And it was, the idea was, um, well, the ads manager idea, it was that I wanted to give, instead of me flipping on a switch and then get generating all those leads, I was the one that was in charge of the distribution. Wouldn't it be nice if, and, and pretend it's a tap and like I have to fill up a bucket and then I have to fill up everyone's cut of leads in terms right. of sales reps, yeah. just to keep the metaphor, I had built a tool where the rep could go and fill up their own cut from the faucet. If that makes sense. Right. So it's a thin little layer on top of ads manager. If they wanted 10 more leads in a given day, they could go and they click a few buttons in this like app. And, um, and it wasn't like a, your traditional like login app. It was very simple. And then leads would go into their CRM. And, and that was my first bot where I was like, all of a sudden I was removed from the situation. I was kind of like, and uh, I remember sitting there one day being like, holy shit, they, they, they have their leads. What, what am I doing now? <laughs> I ended up, anyways, I built all those things most more out of boredom. I had to go and then I ended up moving over to Growth Genius and, and developing that LinkedIn bot. But the other bot I'd, I'd done a lot of time with was, was chat bots as well. More because I felt like instead of people using these online forms, I, I feel like online forms could be more conversational. That's a whole different beast though, in terms of bots, um, like, like the Slack bot, for instance, that's really useful in terms of like, how can we get basically, how can you go out and distill a bunch of information down and make it a little more, just a little more accessible to people right. in the company. Um, yeah. so we, we would do like a leaderboard each day and put it in the Slack. So all the reps would see it and we felt like that was motivating. Everyone would have a pulse on how everyone's doing. Um, so yeah, so different bots for different things, but that, those are a few examples of, of how I've, how I've looked at it and, and what I've done. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Final question that I have is, you know, obviously things have changed quite a bit yeah. in the past few years, right? Like, you know, obviously the recent pandemic, but even going back further, like TikTok and the shift towards video, even I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more use of video being used sure. in different growth experiments and ads online. Yeah. You know, what are some of the latest hacks that you've admired or even executed yourself? I think, I, I guess personally, what I've, what I've been really focused on in terms of um, obviously I, the latest technologies I've been really focused on, I, I, it's based on the, that conversational 
input I, I just told you about in terms of a bot. So right now, me and my team are really bullish on how does one start and manage more conversations? Like we're obviously focused on LinkedIn, but if you think more widely, I think I think the internet is going to turn is going to be more conversational in the next five years. I think there are tools that exist that can help you manage those conversations. Like NLP is something that I've been I've been studying and focused on for about I'd say the last six months. And I think that there's going to come a combination of technically those are ads, those are conversation ads. I like to call them. Right. So I'll look at people that do it really well on LinkedIn and whether it be posts or that, that are, it's very conversational. It's, it's very action oriented. I, I believe and what I've been working on is okay. Where does automation fit into that? Or where's augmentation fit into that such that I can 10 X the amount of conversations I'm having and, and hopefully they, they, they're effective as well. And it's, it's not just like booking meetings. It could be networking. It could be, I guess I, I, I go in that direction because that's what I spend a lot of time on. Right. But I think in any website, any sort of online experience, I think instead of us filling out forms, we'll be having more conversations. And I feel like we haven't really, really, we're still at the, it's still the tip of the iceberg for the potential for that. Yeah, so for sure. I don't think we've fully solved the whole DM problem, right? Like whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. They all try to do some version of pretty much the same thing, but anytime you're handling more than let's say 10 conversations, right? Even seven, eight conversations. Yeah. You kind of stop responding or, you know, stop dropping the ball on conversations. Right. And if you think about the number of people, right. Basically, anyone with a large network, anyone with a sales job, anyone with a recruiting job, anyone looking for opportunities or trying to create their own opportunities, they're all in the business of having conversations, you know, for a number of reasons. Yep. No yep. one has really solved for that yet. Right. And it's you know, no. a problem. And I think, you know, when we think about advertising, the highest quality of an ad is when you're able to get get it to a point where you're having a conversation. Yeah, I, I think so. And then, and then that conversation, like the actual content of it, if you, you really want to get meta, that's a kind of an ad too. Yeah. Every time you're and it's really, I think we talked about it earlier in the podcast where it's, you're trying to take like a, a really, it could be a really complex solution or service. And then you're trying to distill it down into something that not only someone understands right away, but they're interested, you pique their interest and they're willing to take action after. That's just a really good ad. And then how do you stuff that into, instead of having an image and, and text, yeah, it's, a, it's more of a conversation, it's a back and forth. So it's, a, it's an interactive ad, but I, I think that's kind of a goofy way to say it, but I think you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the best campaigns that I think you and I have run is when we did it for Abacus. And yeah. essentially they were running a breakfast club for marketing leaders, right? Obviously yes. not as applicable today, but the yeah. whole idea of having a best breakfast club for marketing leaders and then just reaching out to hundreds, if not thousands of marketing leaders in the local areas and just saying, hey, we're gonna you know, run an invite only exclusive event yeah. for marketing leaders like yourself, do you want in? Yeah. And then that's the only piece, like that's the CTA, that's the campaign. That you know generated a number of interesting responses that then gets them to first know about Abacus, learn about the company, learn about the founder, and 
gets them into a much deeper level of the funnel versus where they originally would have been if they said, hey, you know, took a look at your company's ad spend and would love to kind of see how we can optimize it, right? And I it's think, not even like a little bit better. Yeah. It's 10x better. And I think that's why I love marketing or, and, and, and again, I'm not a traditional marketer, but that's why I love advertising or that's, that's really what you're looking for, right? Just a slight change in messaging. Right. Literally, we're doing this. It's the same mechanics. It's the same ads manager, Facebook ads manager, uh, to use that as a metaphor. The only thing that changed was a slight change in messaging and offer. Not slight, it was a big change in messaging and offer, but it's just words, right? Yeah. And then, but the amount of the reaction from that was so big, it's 10 times better. And I think as, as, a, as growth, growth marketers, that's what you're kind of shooting for. I think that's, that's the name of the game. That's what makes it fun, at least. Totally. Totally. Awesome. I mean, you know, obviously great to have you on the podcast and get you to share your thoughts, your unique perspective. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to add to it or, you know? No, nothing. No ads. I won't even plug anything. Um, I just appreciate the, the conversation. That was, that was a lot of fun. Awesome. You have great having you on and look forward to having many more conversations. Yeah, of course, buddy. All right. See you. Cheers. Cheers.